Hello, I'm Marianne Shuck, your host for Let's Talk Hope, a podcast devoted to sharing inspirational stories regarding recipients, donor families, and subject matter experts regarding organ and tissue donation. Today, I'm here with Taylor Poindexter, and we're going to talk about her organ and tissue donation story as it relates to her mother and the recipients. We'll also talk a little bit about her and her husband's love story and his journey into being a stem cell recipient. So Taylor, welcome to our podcast. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Thank you. Thank you for having me. A little bit about myself, I would say... I like to read a good book. I like long trips on the beach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm just your millennial woman who's who's just working alongside her husband, trying to take over the world, as we say. We also have our own podcast where we talk about what we call our unorthodox love story, was dealing with his diagnosis of leukemia and also interacting with his donor. So tell me a little bit about the podcast and a little bit about your love story. How did it start? Our podcast is called You Stuck With Me. That is the letter U, S-T-U-C-K-W-I-T-M-E. And that originated because when he first had got diagnosed with chronic myeloid leukemia, we was we were sitting in his, in his hospital room. And around that time when he was diagnosed, I had lost my mom to illness and also my grandmother. And I remember looking at him. I said, look, you're going to have to beat this because, you know, I can't do life without you. (laughs) And basically, you're stuck with me. You're stuck. You're stuck with me. And how long had you guys been dating? Were you married? We were only together for a few months. I would say about a month and a half when he received the diagnosis. But we have known each other for years. We first met in high school. He did ask me out. Let him tell it. He would say that I curved him. He asked me out on a date. He never got an answer from me. But (laughs) (laughs) it's three sides. My side, his side, (laughs) and the truth. Okay. That's always the case. And so you're a month into seriously dating, right? Yes. And now you hear that he has this critical illness that is life-threatening. What are your thoughts? My first thought was I actually got on my knees and prayed. I said, Lord, I can't handle this. Please spare him. Please restore his body in a way that you intended it to function. Because remind you, I had just lost my mother a few months back the same year. And before that, I had lost my grandmother. So that year was a really tough year. And he was the bright spot of that year for me. And that year really kicked off your experience with organ and tissue donation, or were you an organ donor? And did you know about organ donation prior to your mom's illness and death? I didn't know much about organ donation as much as I do now. You see about it like in commercials about save a life, or with your ID, your driver's license, you see that little, I think it's like a little state symbol which says donor on it. It's the Illinois, the state of Illinois symbol in red. Yeah, in red. So that's about the extent I knew of it. But just to realize that my mom had registered to be a donor, that was surprising to me. Okay, why was it surprising? Because my mom, she never, we really never really had those conversations about uh, organ donation or let alone what affairs she had in place in case of her untimely passing. And plus, she she was a jokester like me. She used to always have this joke. She was like, if ever I should pass away, 
she we used to always have this thing like she would say that oh it's gonna be all futuristic like 2033 2055 when everything is all chromed out with hoverboards and everything like that okay <laughs> um she had this thing of cryogenics so she said you could just freeze me and then you can unthaw me whenever you need me <laughs> type <laughs> I'm like okay can I ask what happened with your mother? Can I ask about her illness and, and what led to you being able to say yes to donation on her behalf? I don't mind telling my story in hopes that it will help someone else who's going through a similar situation so they can have an idea of how to navigate through it or inspire them to share their story. So with my mom, we had just came come back from a trip and when we returned home, like about a day or two later, I had walked into her going into cardiac arrest. Uh, she was on life support for a, about approximately a total of 11 to 14 days. So after I spoke with her, spoke with her, her team about the next steps on how to proceed with her, I actually was approached by a Gift of Hope representative. I say it was a little bit funny because she thought that I was like 14, 15 years old, because <laughs> she thought I was I was just this young, this, you know, young teenager, you know, that was going through something. At fir- first, I did thank her for the compliment. I'm like, no, I'm I'm in my mid-20s. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Um, she was like, I don't know if you know, but your mom is a registered organ donor. And at first, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Not saying that I didn't believe that she wanted to get to give because she was a giver. Like she wouldn't mind helping out friends, family, like but she would give whatever she could. It's just I never thought it would be to the stand of like one to help save a life. I accepted with no hesitation. I'm like, these are her wishes. Who am I to not obey my mom? It's interesting you say that. It's particularly that you guys have never had the conversation because in that moment, it's it's a blur. I can imagine you were in the hospital for 10, 12 days, uh, testing going on, really hoping and praying that the doctors did everything they could for your mom. And then to be faced with this decision, knowing that your mom said yes to donation, how did that make you feel in terms of coming to the realization that her, her life might not be sustainable. In all honesty, it I was in denial about it. I was in denial that her that her life may not be sustainable. Okay. I was told to she would did have the option of being like in long-term care where she would be hooked up to like different machines or different procedures would be done for her to sustain life but not as a as a functional human being. And I just was like, I cannot, I cannot see my mother like that. She was always full of life. She always liked to share laughs, like to travel. I had to come to terms really quick that she's no longer going to be physically here. With the discovery that she was going to be an organ donor, that actually gave me a little bit of happiness because I'm like, okay, her legacy can carry on in a different way. Yes. And as you mentioned, your mother was a giver and knowing that this was one, something that she already authorized, but two, knowing this was something that she would be able to give back. And when you say this gave you a little bit of hope, do you, in creating her legacy, do you mean that you'd be able to maybe one day meet the recipient or you just like the legacy of her living on somewhere else or with someone else? Both her legacy carry on within someone else besides 
me being her daughter, of course, but also in hopes of meeting her recipient and having that connection that my husband has with his recipient because they they have a close relationship, like she's part of the family. Now, I understand that everyone's a little bit different, but I'll be satisfied in knowing that I attempted and that they are out there and, and prayerfully and and hopefully they're they're living well as well. And can you tell me a little bit about your mother's gifts? From my understanding, she did a tissue donation and also she was able to give the gift of sight. I just know as of right now, there are two recipients, one that is international, one that is actually locally close to home. And what did you think about going to see or meeting your recipient that's in China? Have you ever traveled internationally? Have you been to China? No, I haven't. And it's actually on my, I don't like to say bucket list. I like to say to-do list of places to go to. And you said the other cornea recipient is local as well? Yes. From my understanding, they are in Homewood, Illinois. Oh, okay. Well, have you written your letter to your recipients or have they written you or are you just waiting? Well, unfortunately, I was unable to reach out to the recipient in China because they did not leave any contact information. But I was able to write a letter to the one that's locally here in Illinois. I'm just waiting to hear back. Let's fast forward. So you said goodbye to your mom, the gift of hope people. uh, They were good for you in the hospital. They walked you through the process. And now you've got this new boyfriend that you've known for a while and you have this health challenge. We talked a little bit about what that was like, but tell us about transplantation because it is a form of donation. And I always say donation is donation no matter how you get to that point, but it is life-saving, life-enhancing, and your mother's gifts were life-enhancing for the folks who are able to see again and then also for the tissue. So tell us about this young man and what that process was like. <laughs> I wish you could see me right now. I'm smiling. Every time somebody brings up him, it just lights up my world. <laughs> I can hear your smile. <laughs> um, so his name is his name is Marquise. Like I stated, we met in high school. He actually did get a chance to meet his future mother-in-love, as we call her, before she passed. She she approved of him. We weren't dating at the time, but she was like, you should go ahead and date that young man. It's something about him. So it worked out. So Marquise was diagnosed a month and a half in into our relationship. He actually, it wasn't until his second round with the illness that the idea of stem cell transplant would be beneficial to him. So he's had this twice? Yes, tw- has it twice, yeah. The first time we were together, it was in remission, and then he had a he had a setback, and then it returned. So this was his second time. But I'm glad to say he's in remission now. Okay, and so tell me about the stem cell transplant. What what did that entail? First, I wasn't really knowing much about stem cells. So when I first heard about it, I thought it was like an invasive surgery, like cutting open anything like that. But no, it's the best way I could describe it is if you go into the doctor's office and you draw blood. That's basically the same process. Basically, you are matched with a total number of people with your same blood type. And they see, they reach out to them and say, hey, we we really need, we really need your donation. Are you still available to donate? Now, I will say it was not an easy process. We did, we did go through 
some candidates here and there that dropped off along the way, but it was one in particular who said yes. She is two separate sections. So the donor comes in, get infused, they extract her blood cells and everything, and they put it in a bag and then transport it to wherever the patient is. In this case, my husband. And we set a day, he he's get admitted, gets prepped, and it's, it's a, it, I don't want to say an easy process, but it's a process that takes a short amount of time. I think it took like about no more than an hour, if that. And he was just hooked up to a really to an infusion. Yep. And hooked up into a fusion in his arm. Or I, I think it was his arm. And they just monitor they just monitor him for the next few days to see how he reacts and see everything sticks. And then that's when the new birthday begins, as we say it. I want to make sure that I understand and that our audience understands because this is a new topic for us. And so it's it's not like a bone marrow transplant, correct? It's just, it goes straight into your vein or how does that work? Okay, so it's not a bone marrow transplant. Bone marrow transplant is he's getting a new bone marrow. There was no invasive surgery like they had to literally take something out. It was just more of an incision. It was more of an incision where... I'm just using his arm for example because that's easier to explain. But let's just say he just gets an incision in in his arm and they bring out a bag of stem cells or blood cells. And it's like a regular, just something similar to like a regular infusion. They just stick it in his arm and it just gets transported through the machine. But of course, before the prep work for that is you do you do, do a clean out of like your current stem cells because I mean they're infected. Okay, that's I think that's where I was getting lost <laughs> in the process. You try to get rid of most of the of the infected cells. I believe it's white blood cells. The infected cells from the body and then you monitor because now you don't have any you don't really have any protection for any against any germs or bacteria that we get every day. And once the once the bag comes in, you get you get infused, and then basically you have new cells. And you just wait and see how they react. You do run tests to see if everything's sticking well. I know one most common thing with stem cell transplant recipients, they may get sick with something called grass versus host disease. That's just basically the transition of your body getting used to new cells. Because, I mean, you just, you're used to these cells that you had before. Now you get new cells and your body's just like, okay, what is this? What is this going on here? Oh, this is, this is helpful for me. So it's just a part of the transition. So is it sort of like could possibly be rejection of the stem cells that are being injected into the body? Yes. Some cases it is the rejection of the cells in the body and some is just an adjustment. It all depends. It all depends on the patient. And how long after the treatment, the infusion, does it take to understand whether it's taken or not, or whether his remaining stem cells that are not infected won't, as you said, graft versus host, won't reject the, the new stem cells? I don't know exactly like the scientific time range that's given, but I know for my husband, it took several months to like a year just to actually to get that adjustment. Okay. And what was the healing process like? You've had this done. You're still healing from the loss of your mother, the loss of your grandmother, and now you've got to help nurse your future husband back to health. What was that like? Honestly, the best way I could describe it is it was just taking it day by day. 
I will say with assisting him with his with his treatments and his healing, it actually kind of diverted away from from the mourning process a little bit of losing my mom. Okay. I would say now over the over the past it's been six years, so I would say like year two or three after she passed, that's when I was really able to accept the fact that she was gone. I do accredit that to my now husband and therapy and just talking to my support system, which consists of my husband and close friends and family. Can you tell us when you all got married throughout this process of healing? So we actually got married last year. Oh, congratulations. It just made, thank you. <laughs> it made a year, it made a year um, this past July. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you. And so how's, how's your husband's health doing now? Oh, it's great. He, we, um, we we're back to what we doing what we do best. We travel together. Um, we actually started going back to the gym together, starting to play basketball a little bit. Before he got sick, he was a big basketball fan. He still is. And he also played basketball too. So just recently he picked up the basketball for the first time in some years and was back on the court. Oh, great. So let's let's talk about something because, you know, I mentioned earlier donation is donation. And I want to talk about health challenges. So for your mom, was her cardiac episode or illness, was it just something that was onset? Do you think that it was hereditary? Cardiac illness did run in my family. My I know I mentioned my grandmother a little bit. So my grandmother had stents as well as my mom. My mother's cardiac arrest was a surprise. We were not we were not expecting that. Again, she, she did have a form of of a cardiovascular disease. I'm not sure what it was exactly, but it caused her to have stents. I know she had problems with irregular blood flow. As for me, I was told that it is hereditary, but my prognosis is I'm not. Um, there's no detection of it. I'm not at risk for like hypertension, but I am up. In, I have been told that I am in that age now. Would I need to be more cognizant and more observant of what I eat, and also maintain make sure that I'm getting exercise, which can help combat that. But other than that, I'm, I'm okay. Thank you for saying that because a lot of people don't recognize that a cardiovascular disease can be treated and it can be mitigated, right? Through health, through exercise, through lifestyle. And so was your mother healthy like that? And this just was something that was sudden because I can tell you it was sudden for me. I lost my husband four years ago and we were actually riding our bikes and um, he just sort of fell off his bike and had a cardiac episode. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, thank you. But, you know, he had some symptoms, but not deep-seated symptoms like that. So I'm wondering, and I do, my daughter is 24, and so I do monitor her, but, you know, she's really healthy. But so it's not deeply hereditary. But to your point, lifestyle is really the best way to monitor and mitigate symptoms in these illnesses. So thank you for that. No problem. Um, my mother, she was healthy and hurt. In her earlier years, my mom, she was in her mid-50s when she passed. At a period, she wasn't as active as she usually was in the past. And that just was dealing with the grieving the loss of my grandmother. In a sense, she, I was, to me, in a sense, I would say she was going through some type of depression. Okay. Because it was like, she would like stray away from like doing things that made her happy, like shopping, going out to eat, just traveling, which where I get my 
my passion for traveling from her and, you know, just doing everyday duties. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that you're doing well and that you are monitoring everything because we want you to have a long, happy life with your husband. So tell us about your husband's prognosis. What's that going to look like for the both of you? He still is in remission. Actually, I want to say and next year would make about five years since his first prognosis. So we're planning a celebration for that. Just basically with him, the same thing with my mom, just making sure he's you know, moving around. We did have to do a eating habit change or like I say, a lifestyle change. Cause I feel like if you use the word diet, it's going to turn you away. So we're doing a lifestyle change with his eating habits, eating more leafy greens, fresh fruits, vegetables, and just basically get back active. So he's all for it. I'm the one, <laughs> I'm the one he's got to push <laughs> okay. a little bit here and there, to, you know, get up out the bed to go to the gym, but everything's looking good. Um, I know you also asked about the family history with the cancer diagnosis too. So what I discovered from him, cancer does run in his family, both sides. I want to say both his grandparents, his mother's father and his father's father had prostate cancer. So that is something that's not really uncommon in the family. It's just with him, leukemia, that was just like a surprise. Well, they say it's a young person's disease, right? Yeah. And you both are so young to have gone through so much together and and to be married. And they always talk about five years is like the standard of care. Like if you can get to five years, your prognosis goes up even more higher. And so it has to feel good getting to this point, not only of being in your relationship, being married for a year, and now having reached this five-year milestone. Yeah, it feels it feels great. We do from time to time reminisce on the past, like his his progress. Like in the beginning, he did he did lose a lot of weight. He did have muscle weakness, which is part of the downsides of like after after the stem cell transplant. You do you basically learning how to do basic movements again. Like he did have to learn how to walk again because of the the loss of muscle mass that he had, sort of like muscle atrophy. Yeah. He's six foot five, so just oh imagine a six. <laughs> right, he he's just imagine this tall six foot five man who once weighed two hundred thirty pounds. Now he's six five and he weighs like one eighty. I was gonna say my nephews are six five, so I know what six five looks like. <laughs> oh, so yeah, you under you definitely understand, definitely understand what that looks like. One plays in the NFL and one is a pilot, so I know what that looks like. <laughs> and how tall are you? Oh, I'm just I'm just five eight. Oh I'm just five just eight. five eight? I'm five four. Okay. So when I stand <laughs> next to them, I, <laughs> I'm the very short aunt. So I'm just saying five eight, that's not too shabby. it gets the job done it gets the job done (laughs) absolutely absolutely so taylor tell me a little bit about what your future looks like what are you most looking forward to i'm most looking forward to becoming a mommy we finally had that conversation with most newlyweds have about starting a family so hopefully 
prayerfully and I'm manifesting that I will be a mother within the next one or two years. Okay. Also, just continue, just to continue to take over the world with my best friend, mm-hmm. which may be through the podcast, just sharing our story in hopes it will help other millennial couples. And what pulled you through? I mean, this is not easy. What strengthened your relationship? What pulled you through this? And what would you say to other couples who have gone through something like this? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I could say that pulled me through. My mom and grandmother always instilled in me this saying, God's got us. Mm-hmm. And what that basically means is no matter how hard things get, when life, as we say, when life tends to life and throw these curveballs at you, just know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And my grandmother, she she had um, experienced something similar to me, like losing like losing close relatives and such back to back in, a, in, in such a short span like she had four daughters my mother was the youngest so just watching her navigate through losing her her eldest three children and still be able to have a smile letting herself know that God's got God's got her and that she can pull through or even watching my mom even though Later on, she she had she suffered through some depression after my grandmother passed. Just watching her and telling herself that God's got us. That's what that's what helped me get through. I like that. I like that a lot. Just reminded me that I come from a long line of strong women and that God's got us. We hear so much about millennials and Gen Gen X and millennials changing the marital landscape and not getting married, but yet you've been able to do it through this this challenge. What would you say to people who get hit with something this difficult? Because it's not easy, right? It's it's not easy. And so what what would you say to couples about your journey? And I definitely am going to listen to your podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Um I would say a few things, but one of the things I would say is it can happen. Like we, just like you said, you know, with Gen Z and millennials, um, you don't hear much to me. You don't hear much about couples going through, you know, stuff that I went through at a young age or being in these relationships that, that are not really built to last. It can happen if you really want it. You just give all that you can till you feel like that you can't give anymore. That would be number one. And number two is it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to say that I need help. It's okay to ask that that you it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to let someone know the person that you are in a relationship with or had that close relationship with to let them know that you're not okay. Because if you're not okay, how can you pour into someone else? You're young to have lost your mom. And so you didn't have the discussion with her um, about organ and tissue donation, but yet you honored her wish to be one. What would you say to people in your generation about having these types of conversations about end of life decisions? I would say if they have the opportunity to have that conversation, have it. I know it, I know it would be uncomfortable. I know it would be uncomfortable. I can't I can't stress that enough. Um but I would say have that uh, that uncomfortable conversation uncomfortable conversation now so 
when the time comes, it will be more comfortable for you to navigate. Definitely. And then what would you say about stem cell and being a donor? Because not a lot of people know about it. I didn't know a lot about it. I'm more familiar with bone marrow donor, blood donation, obviously organ and tissue donation and things of that nature. But what would you tell someone about being a stem cell donor? The pre-setup, the pre-screening for that stuff, I'm not familiar with that. I mean, it could be it could be painful for so it, well, I'm not gonna say painful. It could be uncomfortable because I mean, you may not have to, you may not be able to eat anything or drink anything for a while. But the actual procedure itself, it seemed to be pretty painless from what I saw. But as for someone who's considering it or who wants to know more about it, I would say if if you feel like it's in your heart to be able to give to um to give in that manner, I would say go ahead and do it. Because at the end of the day, as you hear me speaking speaking here, that it actually does work. It actually works. Uh, donation do, A donation is still a donation. And who knows, maybe during that process, you'll be able to, you'll be able to gain another family member, as I would say. And you did. Tell us about your family member. <laughs> so our family member, her name is Renee. I always thank her every time I see her because I always tell her like because of of your of your gift you gave me my husband you gave me my best friend back. I believe she lives in Atlanta at the moment. She's a mother of three, and she's just I'll just say that's just that's just a sister that I I never had. <laughs> and so, what can we do if we wanted to donate some stem cells? Is there a procedure? Is there a website that we could get? I know that I tell people they can go to giftofhope.org to be able to register to be an organ and tissue donor. But what do you do for stem cell? We were just at his doctor's appointment and I just said, hey, I just said, hey, and I just want to be able to see if I'm a match to give to him. So what I what they did was they just gave me a pre-screening just to see what my blood type was. Unfortunately, I wasn't I wasn't able to donate to Marquise. But all because I wasn't able to donate, uh, that was around the same time too. Like, oh, we have a match. So I think you can also look at be the match.org. They talk about stem cell transplant that way. But the best resource to go to is just just your just your local um, PCP or your hospital that you attend to. And then they'll be able to direct you to like different different departments. Cause I think, so, I know the University of Chicago has like a separate department where they work for, they, they interact with teens and adolescents who are actually, who, who are actually going through treatment for um, leukemia, lymphoma and everything like that. So they also, they also have good, great resources for that as well. Well, great. So just one final question. What are your final thoughts on donation, on love for the audience? My thoughts on donation is, I say donation is like the greatest gift you can give. I would say that donation takes takes a special type of person to look within deep in, in themselves to make that commitment. It's not an easy commitment. It's not, but if you just have that compassion and that passion to help somebody, 
eBay and living or once you pass on, I say go ahead and do it because that could be a way that you can bring somebody, you can bring somebody, let, let another person come home to their loved ones, to their wife, their husband, their brother, their sister, and enjoy those memories. And also your legacy can live on. As for love, I would say love, and there's somebody out there for everyone. I mean, I know, I know it could be hard at times, but you just got to be patient. Got to be patient. And sometimes love can throw, throw, throw curveballs at you, but you never will be given anything that you can't handle. You have just listened to Let's Talk Hope with Marion Shuck. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories like Taylor's and her husband's Marquise, please listen to Let's Talk Hope. You can register to become a donor on giftofhope.org. And if you like what you've heard today, we hope that you'll listen again wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Let's Talk Hope was produced by Rivet. And if you'd like to hear more great podcasts, please visit rivet360.com.